Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, Managing Partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's episode, we're going to spend some time talking about some of the current issues that are facing our healthcare providers these days, and in particular, what some of our healthcare leaders may be struggling with as they're thinking about moving forward past COVID, improving their financial performance, continuing to connect with our patients. And as we all know, there's a lot of challenges that have been facing hospitals as of recent. Not only are they managing the ebbs and flows or the continued pressures of COVID, but there's a lot of issues related to the workforce that has always been a challenge, but seems like it's even more of a challenge today, as well as then the direction that healthcare organizations and hospitals need to take on improving their financial performance. Many of them haven't really gotten to the point where they're at their pre-COVID levels, and they're still struggling with trying to make their ends meet. My guest today, I'm really excited about, is an individual I've known for quite some time. He is an industry leader, a thought leader, a real connector with high-level individuals across the organization. Bill Bodner, founder of the Leaderboard, has been working in the healthcare industry for, my goodness, well over 25, 30 years. The Leaderboard provides phenomenal networking and education opportunities to physicians across the country. Bill, welcome to the program. Dan, thank you. And I wish it had only been 25 years. It's been 46 years I've been in this darn field, and I still love every day. 46 years, my goodness. (laughs) That's great. Started when I was 11, I think, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And one thing I, I think we both talked about early on is we both went to Xavier University. We did. What a great little place that was. Absolutely. Loved it. Loved it. So, Bill, as we're thinking about where healthcare and the industry is now, a lot of challenges that are facing hospitals, facing executives, facing leaders of all sorts, whether you're an executive leader, you're a physician leader, you know, many challenges. What are you seeing? What are you hearing as sort of these top of mind issues with some of the leaders across the country? Sure, Dan. It is more challenging today than it's ever been, I think, for healthcare leaders. Obviously, COVID has created an entirely new set of challenges that, in in my 46-year career, has never beset the industry. And I'm thinking, of course, about intense levels of burnout. I'm thinking about the intense levels of uh, intermediaries or disruptors who have finally discovered or decided that Healthcare is a pretty lucrative arena in terms of uh, total spending and all of the dynamics going on in the workforce. It's always been being an administrator, or board member, et cetera, of a, of a healthcare system has always been a game of uh, hundreds of operating challenges and, and daily whack-a-mole. But the need for real strategic focus and really to figure out, sort through everything is paramount today. 
Do you think that hospitals and how they're connecting with their patients is it changed today? You know, we've, we've done a lot of work with organizations, with telehealth, with thinking about different access models. Some of the organizations have really embraced that. Others have sort of pushed back. What are you seeing? Well, it's, it's interesting. I remember back in the early 1980s, uh, listening to tapes on the, on the way to work at a hospital in Iowa where I worked uh, by Tom Peters in Search of Excellence. And thinking, gosh, you know, this whole concept of a customer focus, it's pretty interesting, but it never gained a tremendous amount of traction within the executive suite until Medicare created it as a potential incentive disincentive in terms of penalties for where your customer service scores were. And that seemed to kind of kick off the focus on customer service and elevating it to a senior level uh, of trying to understand your customers, trying to serve them better. And of course, all the disruptors, they're working hard and they are, some of them know our customers as good or better than we do. Well, that is so true, I'll tell you. And one of the things that have come out of COVID is this concept of increased convenience-based care. And telehealth has supported that. So if you need to talk with a primary care physician, you know, you still have that opportunity to pick up the phone and make an appointment and, you know, maybe get in in a week or two. Or you could download the app, push one button, and be connected with a primary care provider, whether it's a nurse practitioner or a physician, in a matter of seconds. That has really changed the model. It absolutely has, Dan. And I think that, you know, like everything, there are customer types go way beyond demographics, but uh, customer types and customers who are extremely comfortable with that and others who... They will until the day they die, they're going to demand the face-to-face visit. But the ZocDocs, the Teladocs, they're getting to understand, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but especially the younger generation who are our future bread and butter, uh, they're understanding them perhaps even better than we do. And 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 the, the the thought that you would that you would go in for a physician visit, let's say you're a cancer patient undergoing uh, uh, radiation therapy, the fact you would go in for for your 21 radiation therapy visits, but that your visits to see the see your uh, physician aren't on the same day, it's crazy. But it happens every all over the country every day, and, and it's just one tiny example. Understanding your customers, understanding workflow using AI, which we hear a lot about. Why would you use AI, and how does that relate to customer experience? Well, let's think about one small example. How many times you've gone into the hospital a lab draw area uh, because you're having surgery next week or your PMD just, just ordered a lab draw and you go in, you sit there for 10, 15, 30 minutes waiting for your lab draw. What in the world is going on? Why aren't you given a five-minute appointment to help spread out that to reduce the size of your waiting room? And by the way, if you sit and wait for 20 minutes with the anxiety of a, a lab draw, the odds are they're not going to get you on the first poke. I mean, these are tiny things, but to consumers, to customers, they're huge. And it's- well, you are absolutely correct. And I'll tell you, it's really, it's really changed the care model. And focusing on that customer-centric approach, I think, is really going to be a differentiator. And like you said, there's a lot of non-traditional providers out there who um, are starting to figure it out. So when you think about the impact to the traditional healthcare model to hospitals, boy, if these leaders don't really think about doing things different, 
it certainly is going to affect their model and, and affect their overall financials. Listen, the moment a disruptor, whether it's a Teladoc or a ZocDoc or a CVS or Walmart or your insurer, once they disintegrate or inter- disintermediate that, that connection between you and your primary care doctor just once, it can become the beginning of a lifetime of care for that, for that yeah. customer. And, and if you think your hospital, your expensive hospital will, and your expensive surgeons will be where that company refers those patients, you better cross your fingers. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. I, I want to jump into another topic, which I'm hearing a lot of issues about, certainly over, you know, especially over the last maybe nine, 10 months, but I think it's always occurred. And that's really around the workforce issues. It seems like right now with wage inflation, with a lot of uh, the inability to really fill positions, the competitive nature of, of losing, say, some of our workforce to you know, non-traditional providers or maybe not even healthcare providers, right? The Amazons and, and some of the other, other organizations there is really creating a, a major strain on our workforce, on hospitals. What are you hearing when you're, when you're talking to folks around the country? Oh, you know, of course, you can't talk about healthcare employees without talking about burnout. You can't talk about burnout without talking about more than just burnout. This, the entire mental health issues within the healthcare issue, within the healthcare arena, have grown exponentially because, again, because of the strains of COVID. The strains of COVID have created, of course, all of these other issues within our economy and the dramatic rise, the, the fast food restaurant who last year paid nine bucks an hour and now this year is having to pay 13 or 15 or 16 bucks an hour for that same employee is stripping away people who were in your housekeeping world, especially one of the occult losses is in the MA arena. Again, these are people who you know have a six-month training and they're able to go for two, three, four bucks an hour more to work in a fast food arena where they don't have the risk of disease, where they aren't being accosted by patients who are angry about whatever is happening. And they probably are working a lot closer to their home. Uh, yeah. Four bucks agree. an hour is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And then when you when you think about kind of the, the strains that healthcare puts on individuals. Now, again, there's a certain level of satisfaction that comes with the position, which is, I think, the reason why you and I are, are in healthcare. But when you, when you counter that with higher salaries, increased benefits, maybe a little bit more of a work-life balance, you know, that's hard to compete for hospitals. It is hard to compete for hospitals. And I think that the question is, there are a number of people who want to cling to the past. They want to think, well, you know, we got to have people at the bedside. We got to have people mopping the floors. We have to have people coming to work. I mean, I remember the tremendous amounts of key space in a hospital had to be devoted to the business office or the medical records department. Of course, that all can be off, can be offloaded and, and, and outsourced now. But the question I think is going to be, what else can you be doing? You know, can in, in terms of automation in every other industry, when once there, there's a certain price level or cost level of doing something and automation becomes a better option, it's adapt, adopted and it's adopted relatively quickly. It's, uh, adoption rate in the healthcare field has been very slow in the uptake. Why an RN doesn't, uh, RNs across the country, every, every RN doesn't have 
a heads-up display uh, of the medical record um, available to them instantly, why they don't have uh, a virtual scribe. So as they walk from room to room or even while they're in the room, they are doing the scribing there instead of back in an office to maximize their time and their, and their functionality and maybe even their accuracy. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you're looking at the industry from the outside. I agree. I think healthcare leaders are going to have to figure out how to incorporate innovative approaches, different types of working, you know, environmental issues to address the needs of our workforce. Otherwise, they're just not going to be able to compete. Uh, if we stay in, in our, our current traditional model, it's just not going to work. And especially for the non-clinical staff. I, I think we really do have to think about it differently and address those specific work-life issues. Obviously, we need to move to you know more and more hybrid. I was thinking just this morning before this call, uh, how much rounding by a nurse could be done by, by a robot nurse? Uh, doing yeah, <laughs> wouldn't that be um, great? Yes. You know, where the nurse, the nurse is sitting, sitting her home and, and she can do her scribing and she's got the, yeah. the medical record. And, and I, you just wonder about that type of thing happening to give a different a different type of work-life balance. But one of the other issues I think is big within this industry is that there's, is the culture of the organization. And I think that organizations are, going to, are at a real uh, turning point where they're going to have to decide and make a very conscious decision about what their future culture will be. During COVID, many organizations moved to a command and control culture. And it was what's necessary. It's what's necessary in a time of war and Certainly, a lot of hospitals have, have, have found themselves in a warlike environment with COVID. But the question is, what will be the next? What will be the next iteration of their permanent culture, and what do they want to drive? Do they want to return to many were driving, working in consensus-driven cultures, which take a lot of time and probably water down a lot of great ideas? Do they want to be highly decentralized with a high level of accountability? Do they want to return to? maybe a completely clinically focused uh, kind of culture where the customer really is a second place. You know, I think that these are all options, but will take a long-term commitment from hospital systems as will building up a, a pipeline um, yeah. for the future. Yeah, absolutely. But the culture is so key, Bill, you, you are spot on. And, you know, as I've talked with many HR leaders, they're, they're focusing on changing that culture and trying to really push some of the accountability, some of the decision-making, getting an implied ownership to that, to that middle manager level so they can specifically address the needs of their staff and, and do it quick. It's just certainly, certainly a key area. But one other area of culture that I'd love to hear your thoughts on, and it's around, it's around burnout. And, and in particular, maybe physician burnout, staff burnout, you know, physician burnout has been in healthcare, you know, certainly for the for the last 10, 15 years, and I guess you can probably draw a lot of that alignment to the implementation of the, of the electronic medical record. How is burnout different now? Is it do you see it being worse? Is it is it the same? You know, how are organizations sort of addressing the issues of burnout, both for their physicians and their staff? Dan, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, and, and and for a second, I'm just for at a flash of, of of memory. My father was an orthopedic surgeon, and back in those days, you know, you left the house at seven in the morning, 
came home for dinner somewhere between six and nine, and then went back and made rounds on his surgical patients for the next day. He loved his job. He worked hard. Um, he was completely engaged until the day he had his first malpractice case, and he almost quit because of it. Wow. That could be life-changing, especially for your, for your first one. It has to be really, really tough. You know, but you fast forward today, and, and you kind of make the arc to the challenge, the constant challenge that physicians and caregivers are facing today. It's not just over COVID. Um, if it were just over COVID, maybe they'd be able to handle it. But it's the challenge of many decisions that, you know, every day that patients are, that physicians are, are facing in their offices where a patient walks in with, with the 30 pages that they printed off from some unusual internet site. And it might be the challenge that families um, who are totally unprepared for, uh, for the death um, of a patient and they want you to do everything, um, as Atul Gawande says, keep doing the miracles that they believe American healthcare is designed to do. And, and the physicians know that there is no viable hope of, of, of recovery for a patient, but they're being challenged by families. They're getting pressure from every side, but then the, this whole COVID thing and the number of hours and the pressure, and again, the frustration of knowing that almost every patient in the hospital today in an ICU who's gonna die of COVID, it could have been prevented. It, it's really gut-wrenching for, for, for these folks. What I want to say is, while that's all the negative, the positive is to find ways to reconnect people to their mission, as you mentioned yes. earlier. Because we know that high employee engagement is directly related to high customer satisfaction and that it's a symbiotic dynamic relationship. And so, the, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's this thing of why do we focus on customer service? because it makes for happy customers, which helps make people more satisfied in their job. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Bill. That is spot on. You know, all of us went into healthcare, at least most of us went into healthcare with the idea that we wanted to make a difference. You want to help people somewhere along the way. Sometimes that gets lost. And I think to your point, the more you could provide that connection back to the mission, sort of the, you know, the why we got into this in the first place, that really then helps to define the purpose. It makes it, it doesn't solve all the problems, but it makes it a little easier to overcome a lot of the challenges that we're facing. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly a challenge today. So one of the other areas that I'm hearing is, is a focus is how we want to approach moving into value. You know, before COVID, population health, value-based care had a fair amount of momentum. There was a lot of organizations were investing in different initiatives around population health. There was a lot of contracting and activities that were occurring. And I think post-COVID, if COVID did anything, it highlighted the challenges within fee-for-service, but I'm not hearing the same level of momentum moving into some of these value-based care arrangements as I have before. Everybody I talk to feels like value is the way to go to be able to really manage costs and improve outcomes. But I'm not seeing a lot of big momentum in terms of, you know, movement, infrastructure, creating some of these arrangements and, and so forth. What are you hearing? Well, absolutely. I think that there's been a slowing of the move of, of the march towards value. Um, I, I think that population health management, um, there have been a lot of people who have been involved in that arena who were 
who were pulled away back into clinical roles. Um, and, and, and there's, there's been less of a focus in, in, in a number of organizations, but what's fascinating is the disconnect because when you look at the organizations that have done really well during, uh, during this past two years, it's been those organizations that have taken, that have taken or, or assumed a high level of risk. You're absolutely right. I mean, those organizations that have been able to make themselves through COVID, especially when elective procedures were either, you know, significantly decreased or stopped those organizations that had their value-based contracts that were managing the population and had other, you know, these non-traditional care models in place. These were the ones that were successful and were able to get themselves through in a fairly reasonable way. And what's interesting, Dan, is, is, is that the, the concept of, you know, I guess the first stepping stone in any value-based contracting or, or move towards population health management is, is to address clinical variation. And when it came to COVID, it, of course, we started with total clinical variation because nobody knew how to treat this darn disease uh, effectively. But the learning was such a rapid learning scale, and the death rate, you know, was cut was cut by two hundred percent within the first three months because we learned that oh, let's put people on their stomach. Somebody came up with that idea, and and it worked. That's where where organizations have to start, and that's tough work. You have to have a gifted CMO and. A, dedicated CEO were willing to take those risks, as well as a CFO who's willing to jump off the, the fee-for-service train. And, and right. whether you jump in with just a toe in the water or you jump in head first, it, every organization who is not doing it needs to be doing it. The fear of the unknown is huge, but it's at the, the starting point of Medicare Advantage or an employee workforce or a direct-to-employer contract. Uh, start small, get your feet underneath you, Find a good partner who knows what they're doing and can do all the back office operations and help you project the financial implications and, and modify them during the first couple of years. But organizations yeah. have to do it or else they won't survive. Anyways. So moving into 2022, do you think there's going to be more momentum for hospitals to move into value-based contracting, risk-based contracting? You know, I think that's a good question. It's going to be tough because a lot of organizations have huge backlogs of surgeries. They, they stop doing a whole lot of testing via the either you know, diagnostic or the routine screening stuff that, that I know they feel needs to be crunched through. I know they feel that it's probably an opportunity under the fee-for-service model to crunch a lot of volume through. But again, the, the, the big picture, the long-term horizon really has to be considered. And maybe no better time than the time that we're coming out of a, that we move into some real strong population health management. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think to your point, I think the the opportunity is there now to engage differently with providers, maybe direct to employers, um, you know, to, certainly with payers. So you establish more of a collaborative approach versus a competing approach, which is typically inherent in, in the fee-for-service world. Absolutely. And we don't know it all, but there are a lot of people who have been doing it for a number of years, and we certainly can learn lessons from them. Well, Bill, this was great. I guess, last final question for you. If you were to give some advice based on you know your conversations with other leaders, if you were to give some advice to healthcare executives, whether they're physician leaders or administrative leaders, 
What are the top two, three, four things that you would recommend that they focus on going into 2022? Any thoughts? Well, first is to take a deep breath. A lot of people are in the middle of a war. They feel like the war, this war may never end. But I really encourage people to take a deep breath and look back at what they've done the past two years. They have they have been involved in the in in the biggest change in American healthcare, the biggest challenge to hospital systems and healthcare systems that this country's perhaps, you know, probably ever faced, or at least certainly in the last century. And they need to take solace in the fact that they've done a great job, or as great a job as they could. Second, they need to just find time uh, right after they finish kind of patting their cells on the back and, and, and look at that and decide on a couple of real key touchstones. We've touched on three here. There probably are, are, are I'm sure there are others, but find some, find a focus, find a focus, do it really well and, and turn off some of the noise of the hundreds of other things that you could be doing and focus on the things that are really going to matter for the next five to 10 to 20 years. Yeah, that's great. I, I agree. And I like your suggestion around taking a breath, slowing down and really finding the direction for hospitals in terms of really being able to move forward past COVID. You know, as we start to move forward with this, it's going to be really important for hospitals to have these quick wins, right? Reestablish themselves. And I think address some of these issues that are top of mind in the organization. And I think the quicker that they can begin to move forward with a plan and a direction, it gives a sense of calmness for the whole organization. Well, Bill, I really want to thank you for your time today. This was great. I appreciate your insights. Clearly, your knowledge of the industry and your discussion with other leaders is really critical as we start to think about how we provide insights going forward to other healthcare leaders. So I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate everything you guys are doing to connect people with some good thought leaders. I enjoy your podcast. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. So in, in closing, Bill brought up a couple of really key issues that I think our leaders really need to consider as we're moving forward. I think the one that I really enjoyed was the focus around being very customer-centric, thinking about how we need to reconnect with our patients, taking into considerations maybe some non-traditional approaches, as well as then really focusing on the workforce. And in particular, addressing the issues of burnout, addressing the issues with work-life balance, almost creating more of a competitive nature for us within our workforce and, and how we can continue to provide value and reconnect our staff, our employees, our teams back to their mission. And then lastly, I think the best advice is that we really need to slow down, take a deep breath, think about the great things that we've been able to do and have a clear focus for us going forward. So again, I want to thank Bill Bodner for his time today. Wonderful discussion. Until next time, I'm Daniel Marino. Thank you and be safe. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights Podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. 
Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.